Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shanklerberg, barely able to hit record before we dove into this topic. <laughs> and this is Kirk, Kirk Gray. <laughs> not hey, Ray. Fred. It's not, not, not Ray. Ray like you taught me last episode. But right. It's, it's Kirk it's Gray. Kirk. And that's, that's right. with an A. Right. Anyway, yeah, you were talking about... Uh, yeah, is, I, we, so we sent out a, a question this week. Um, is, is Carl and I are kind of trying to wrap up the the draft of this book we've been working on seems like forever. And, and we, we've got some ideas for a title of it, but we thought, well, we can get some more ideas. So we have all these people that have read the draft so far. Let's, let's ask them. And we got some really good ideas right away. And, you know, and, and so we'll, we'll go back out with a narrow set for some voting. But one of mm -hmm. the pieces of advice was, uh, is include at least one or two buzzwords uh, of current fad things today, you know, like internet 4.0 or artificial intelligence or right. data engineering right. or I don't know, some other bunch of other, you know. Um, right. And I was like, no, I got nothing to do with any of those things. And then right. coupled with that, I, I ended up with this, uh, this question came up the other day uh, of is, you know, it was kind of bouncing a recommendation that, of what they were thinking of doing in this organization that doesn't really have a, a fracas system or a data, a field data tracking system. And it's not a very yeah. big company and, mm -hmm. and they don't have that many installed systems. So they're getting on the order of one a day, you know, of alert or order of magnitude wise. So they're not getting a million mm -hmm. calls or returns right. or anything like that. They're not anywhere near that scale. Okay. And, and they don't have a fracas system. They don't have a, a I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of the acronym, is failure reporting and corrective action. Yeah, system, fracas. And so yeah. and it's a small company and there's only a handful of folks and they get an issue, they go talk to Bill and, and then they talk to Sue and they solve it and they move mm -hmm. on, you know, or they work right. on it. And so the idea was to install a automated once the data is input, the information's input, then it would create uh, pretty cool visualizations was the idea. And if you've ever seen this software package called Tableau, it makes mm -hmm. beautiful graphics. <laughs> it does. If you've, got, if you've got great data, it'll make beautiful graphics. Oh, boy. And it's like... And it was, it was, the license was $15,000 a year and it took, oh, you know, you had to be trained and it's, and I played with it once. It does really cool stuff, but it's got a steep learning curve to make it do really cool stuff. I mean, I can do a bar graph pretty easy, but I don't right. need a high-end, high-zoot software package no. with... No, they still have Excel, I think, is available. Well, that's even too much for me. I like a piece of graph <laughs> paper. Um, but it's been my long-term... Um, and I'd like to get your impression of this is, is okay. you got to learn to walk before you run it, do it manually, right. make sure the right. system works, make sure you got a good source of data and you got a good process in place right. and then automate where it actually helps. Uh, but the other one is, is what are the other meaningful solutions to this problem of what should I work on? How do I see trends? If they're not even using a Pareto of what they're seeing now. You know, that might yeah. be a really good first step. And then it'd have a, right. the upgrade to fancy graphics may 
not be as valuable then because it's not providing, it gives you the next 1%, but it's not worth the effort. If no. a very simple basic tool on a piece of parchment works just fine for 90% of the stuff you're trying to solve. Right. And, yeah. and, and so there's, yeah, there's one, you know, I'll just automate this sort of thing mm -hmm. and kind of, and, and especially in reliability, you can, you just can't do that. It's just not, Oh no, it's now we've got AI, we've got all this computing power well, and they can right. self learn and, sure. you know, you know, all this good stuff. Yeah. They can solve it all for you. Well, it's, it may be able to self learn after you've known the problem and known the, uh, cause of the failure or whatever, and be able to document and put it in there, and it's, you know, in its database. But if it doesn't, if it hasn't ever happened before, and there's so many things, I mean, reliability or unreliability is unexpected in almost all products. Is you build it to be reliable, yeah. and so it's it's an exception. It's an outlier. It's something that doesn't follow the norm, and it requires a lot of questions, which the software could ask you, you know, or or you could, you have to know, you have to do, and unless you have, you know, the uh, this robot robot that could, you know, pull apart the thing, look at the solder joints, or look at whatever it is, or look at the software and say this error is because some, you know, logic gate here is, um, you know, the uh, is having an you know, this particular section of the of computer or this server or whatever is having a problem, then you can, might be able to identify, you know, especially for soft errors, things like that. Well, yeah, but, and there's diagnostics we stick in equipment and everything else. Right, and, right, and right, right. But we, that's we've not got to the be able to repeat game. it. Yeah, and that's not the whole game. It's, it's, it, I don't think this was to replace failure analysis or, or anything else, but let's say, well, what advantage? What would what would be the advantage of whatever they're, you know? Well, the argument was is that it would give you a visual a, a visualization of to give you greater insight at what's happening with your field data, your field failures in, over time. And you're like, okay, mm -hmm. well, they're not mm -hmm. doing that now. Oh no, no. Yeah. Then why right. do they need to jump to the right. you know fifth level of effort? to right. actually get that that was my first point and it says right. now it may prove out to be exactly what they need and just beautiful insightful and and clear as a bell and everything else once you get it set up but instead of automating it right from the start and going through all this pacing to get everybody to get the data just right so it goes into this program just right how about mm -hmm. do it manually for a couple months and see if it actually gives you anything yeah and <laughs> Basically, if you're talking about a small, like you just mentioned, a small production, you know, yeah. not putting out much, uh, then they have the opportunity now to learn uh, the really fundamentals of their product and fundamentals of the problems without, in fact, and when you get into, a, you know, massive volumes, then that's when, you know, data um, – Sorting and being able to use software to we'll look at it uh, identify, parallelize yeah. it, yeah. it, and yeah. things like that would be more useful because you've got a massive amount of data and you you can't 
review every one of them. But if you have just a onesie twosie or, you know, five a month that you can investigate, I mean, this is where you start learning, especially in a new company before mm-hmm. you jump up to um, hopefully you're going to go to mass production if it's a, you know, if you're making a electric vehicles yeah, or something if, like that. No, you know, it's you not start even it. that. It's not even that. It's just a company that has a very niche market and yeah. the hardware supports the services they sell. So it's not, it's not their intention to make a gazillion of these ever. Okay. And it's just, that's not the business model they're in. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was, what's the failure cost? What's, you know, what are they trying? What's the cost of the problem they're trying to address? You know, is it 15,000 a year for software? I mean, is what advantage is that going to give them besides the pretty graphics, which, you know, I, you should be able to understand before you get pretty graphics, what just the raw data says, the numbers, until you put it into a colorful chart, and where where those numbers are coming from, um, and why they're you know what's what's the issue? Well, one of the things I have one of the things with the fancy software packages, and and I've worked with a handful of different ones that allow you to do. You say you have the region. The, that came from the, the board that it was on. And, you know, you get like 10 pieces of information about the week it was made. Right. Um, all this other cool, just data associated with this particular failure and, right. you know, all this cool stuff. Right. And one of the things we often do, and I know you've done this, is you get a, a, a bunch of failures and you notice they all come from Kirk Gray's kitchen. And then it's always, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what are you guys doing What's in here? What's he making? What's he making in here? What are they doing? And, and crushing rocks. But yeah. if, yeah. but if the, if the failures were scattered all over the world and they were nondescript and not similar in any way, not associated right. with the same week, whatever, it's, you know, totally random, but it's one of the things we often do is go, is this a batch problem to this week of production? Was this the week we had some bad components come in or a change in the line or we, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. And the higher end, uh, visualization packages can help you spot apparent relationships. I won't even say causations because it's not representing causations. It's just, connections or relationships. And there's lots of different techniques for doing this with when you mm-hmm. have 20 pieces of information on a thousand different failures, right. you can look for patterns in that. Right. Right. And, and then it, you may go do investigation, see if That's those right. are realistic or not, but it's, right. it's. When you have a lot of data, that is a good time to use um, a kind of a software that can sort and reduce and make it into um identifiable areas instead of, you know, if especially if you're having, you know, tens of 10,000 or whatever, that doesn't make sense for these big companies doing mass production of consumer products or something like oh, that. Yeah. But, but, but the, the idea is, yeah, the Wednesday, Tuesday the investigation. Stuff. Yeah. But we use tools to, you know, look at all these different, is it only from Europe or is it only here or only there? And, right. and these tools help in those regards. There's no doubt about right. it. But here's right. what I think is the issue is if I have 20 different pieces of data, I it is very likely I'll find two things that are, re, that appear to be related in some way. Oh, if we send to Europe, we get a higher failure rate. 
Right. That could be completely coincidental because I'm comparing so many different things. Like, right. So did, did you go to high school, Kirk, in, in like the late 60s, early 70s in that time frame? You know? Oh, I did too. Imagine that. Yeah. We, we must be cousins. Right. No. Right, right. <laughs> it's coincidental. Right. Coincidental versus causational. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, they're um, just because it's uh, concurrent runs together. It's not necessarily um, a cause. Yeah. So I ran into this once where they were looking at a pile of data and this was not using fancy anything, but it was like they noticed that it was one week of production that Uh they had a big spike in failures from. Okay. And so they immediately... uh, blame there was a couple of components involved with it so they mm-hmm. immediately it was probably a power supply i don't remember mm-hmm. so they immediately called the power supply people out and yelled at them right although nothing was bad with the power supplies after that week <laughs> or prior but that one week and they yelled at them for what was going on and it was two years prior and like really what do you expect to get out of that yeah where did these units go where did these failures all occur uh, oh they were on on a navy uh, dock storage facility for two years and they pulled them out and tested them and they all failed well yeah. you know it might not have anything <laughs> to do with the supplier or your manufacturing week <laughs> they all just happened to get bought and yeah. sold to somebody that abused them you know uh, oh yeah this uh this uh shipping container was dropped 30 feet uh, yeah. accidentally into the ocean <laughs> and then they drained it out real quick <laughs> and put it back yeah, up there <laughs> right and we don't know you know or they told us this you know and yeah. so whatever yeah you'd have to that's right it, it would isolate i mean you could have in in a bad uh, some parts of the world the bad power uh, inputs mm-hmm. uh low poor voltage regulation, things like that. And so, yeah, that might identify special conditions like you talked about next to the ocean. Uh, You see a lot of that. And, you know, when I saw pictures of computers sitting in the – they were on a, the monsoon, basically. Well, <laughs> in the gondola in Venice. And <laughs> I saw one where the guy had his uh, – his, desktop right on the window near a window on the sea at the seashore yeah. you know and it was obviously all rusted and corroded in the back I, mm-hmm. I mean but so you know those kind of things obviously have a a, a local cause uh, not necessarily the manufacturer although then you might consider making a a, a more robust product for that area you know but, but there's there's tolerate for voltage variations, whatever. But my, I'm going back to the, this idea of, you know, I, if there's more than one solution to a particular problem. Here they have some data coming back to them yeah. from the field. Right. They're doing some failure analysis. They're doing some debugging and repairing stuff. And they're gathering information in that process already. It's just, but it's on a spreadsheet or it's word of mouth. It's nothing formal. So many reliability folks will say, hmm, Let's make this more systemic or more systematic or process. Let's fracas is a, uh, it doesn't have yeah. to be, you don't have to buy the top end software package to do no. fracas. I've seen perfectly good ones that were on a, on a chalkboard or dating myself a bit there, but they were on a chalkboard and it's a small team. So they just kept a running list on the chalkboard and had next to it, the status and who is supposed to be working on it. And they would sit down once a day or once a week and go, all right, this one's done. What's next? What's the next priority that I need to work on? If it serves the function and it's working just fine on a chalkboard, you know, the reason to automate that or to put it online is that half your team's now in Singapore. <laughs> 
and yeah. you know, other half's here. So having some a Google Doc or a Google Doc spreadsheet or something equivalent to that, a Slack channel or whatever, so that you have a common document that you can both edit. That that's the yeah. next level. But yeah. do I need a you know a big blue to artificial intelligence to peruse all this stuff and learn from it and eventually say, <laughs> hey, you should work on this one? <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Do I really need that? Oh, Fred, I've just seen so many people in engineering want to go immediately to models and and process and and trying to use software to to do something that they should get up off their ass and put their face <laughs> into the product, taking unscrewing boards and taking things apart and investigating, going down to the warranty repair facility yeah. or wherever they're just so reluctant to do that and yeah. i don't understand this no, i mean i i'm i'm a qualitative you know thinker uh i had a tough time but you grew up math. doing field repairs right you you started yeah, in I was industry. a field service engineer yeah you, right. that was your business is on that that was end. what i did i repaired and worked in a calibration lab repairing oscilloscopes and things but, like that and most people out. don't have that experience they come out of school with well they need to go engineering get it. and that's it <laughs> <laughs> i know they need to the best i would say the best i would think the best reliability guys are those that worked in a failure analysis lab at that company or worked in field service or worked in the you know warranty repair group or well, something what about the statisticians actually... what about the statisticians get out of here hey, I resemble that send them to yeah send them to the accounting department <laughs> Oh yeah, that's, I don't know. That's where, yeah, right? <laughs> no, but I, I agree with you. Is uh, that no, you need just, to understand I just, failures? I've had so hard many times that engineers are reluctant to go down to the lab or go down and get the product or have the product shipped to them to be able to look at. It's just yeah. you know, there's a lot of hassles with that. I mean, it's it's not easy to doing those things either. So no, I've run into it where you know the team was you know saying one of the best stories. I'll, I'll switch it around to not a disaster okay. story, but a good story. This one group knew they were up on the rails of losing market share and all kinds of problems. And they knew that reliability was a big deal for their customers. And so they, they were designing a new platform and really trying to get it right. And so one of the many steps they did that contributed to their success was once the product launched, and it was not a you know million onto the shelves all at once. It was, you know, 10 gets sold here, 15 gets sold there. It was a very slow ramp that they their market always did. And they put together a team of their key engineers basically and said, all right, you follow the shipment and go see it happen. And then you have fast tracked mm -hmm. authority to change the design, right? We're going to, okay. we're going to really shorten the review process. And so you see something, you fix it and let's get it out so that the next shipment or as soon as possible, we don't have that issue in the next rounds. Mm -hmm. And and they called it the uh, Delta phase. So you've mm -hmm. heard of alpha and betas, right? Mm -hmm. And right? mm -hmm. then you go to production. Um, right. But this was after production. It's just started. And it was, I think, for 90 days. They basically sent chunks of their design team to installations. And great. And they learned so much. And they drove their right. field failure rate to... And it started low because they did a lot right. of other things well in the design, right. but it started relatively low and they cut it in half in 90 days 
which was three times faster than they would normally do by just getting stuff shipped back to them or customers complaining because they were there watching. And right. any little anomaly, they went, wait a sec, that shouldn't happen because they could recognize what w- the difference between what was supposed to happen and what did happen. And then they would go jump on it. And mm-hmm. it saved them a fortune and more than paid for all this travel and Absolutely. all this time with these guys going out there. And then yeah. those engineers came back and told amazing stories of what they learned about customers and how they used it and what they right. learned about the product. And there was a exactly. list, a lineup out the door of people wanting to do it on the next program because it was an absolutely wonderful experience and educational about how well your actual design was right firsthand, right in the face of the customer right. seeing it happen. Right. And these are the things you can't learn in school. These yeah. are the things you have to go out. And, and you know, and that's what I, I really loved Click and Clack and the car, mm-hmm. what was previously car a car talk. show. Car talk. Yeah, yeah car wonderful talk. show. Two guys who got engineering degrees from MIT. And they themselves would say, look, you got to be really cautious about those engineers and, you know, <laughs> from him. He says, they're never shown the real thing. They're just shown mathematical models of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and getting to see the real thing and touching it, you know, like I had to crawl over iron uh, implanters and replace vacuum tubes or vacuum uh, section pipes and mm-hmm. cryo pumps and diffusion pumps. And you don't, you just have to be there to know how complex and see what the issues are. And then the facility people and how they maintain it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, you just learn so much about everything about how they use, like you said. I mean, like those guys learn. Yeah. They saw that they met the people. And besides that, it's also very good for relationship building, especially if you're showing that kind of uh, attention and everything. Even when you, you know, one of the problems with a failed equipment, especially capital equipment in the field, is the customer has lose, lost faith in that reliability of that yep. system to operate. Yep. So you have to do, after you repair it, you have to do a lot of reselling of their confidence in equipment yep. and identify the problem. Say, we've found that problem and we've we've addressed it. And, you know, and that's really... But I always advise is then, and then it's like McDonald's, you know, would you like fries with that? Is once you say, yeah, <laughs> thanks for letting us know that and here's the solution. How's that working? Anything yeah. else concerning you? Anything else you're noticing? And then be very willing to, to follow up on leads or hints or suggestions. There might be problems in the design or the way it's used or right. how they're using it or the understanding. Or it might be, well, we need a new feature here. We need next generation. There's lots of benefits to doing that. And, but it, it's rare. And I agree with you. There's way too yeah. many engineers that just won't get out of their chair to go down to the manufacturing floor. No, and since I had been a field service engineer, one time I also became a sales engineer after that. And so I was selling uh, helium mass spectrometer leak detectors, and Vico had just made a portable one that was about the size of a large uh, printer. And mm-hmm. I, it was about 30 pounds, and it had a little ion ionizer. Do you ionize the ga- uh, you know, gas and magnets and all that to make a spectrum of the mass uh, and you were looking for helium. Okay, so the fil- they had a filament in it, just like a tungsten filament. And as I had all these IBM engineers in the room, it burned up. <laughs> <laughs> but the great thing is, since I was 
capable and had worked on high vacuum equipment and pumps that I, and I knew how to change this filament out. And in fact, they had already arranged for a second filament to be there. Mm -hmm. So I quickly in front of them demonstrated how to, how to replace the filament. And of course I got the sale after that. That's right. And 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 you even sold them a couple of screwdrivers too. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's really it, it's really important to interface with your customers. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things and the other part that's important, Kirk, is interfacing with us. So head over to sendoverliability.com slash go slash SR. What a segue. You like that, huh? <laughs> yeah. and, and let us know what's on your mind, what questions you have and, you know, how do you, what's your story from your customer interaction type thing? There's got to be some stories out there that are just, or, or troubles. Maybe your organization won't let engineers out of the building to, to talk to anybody. Either way, or if you got something else in your mind, let us know. You can find <laughs> Kirk and I uh, on and other hosts of the show on LinkedIn or on our About pages. And um, it's just another one of those things. If you know, learn how to do it well, then automate is kind of a mantra. And hopefully, you get that out of this message here. Right. First, learn yourself. First, get into the details. Look at the product. Get close to the customer and find out what's going on before you start to automate anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, have fun with that. We'll see if we can. And I know it's a manual process after we hit record to get this posted. So I'm going <laughs> to get started with that. All right. Okay, Fred. We'll talk to you later, Kirk. Thanks a lot. Okay. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes. <laughs>